Greetings, church and friends of the church. This is the scripture lesson and the sermon from the worship of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church on September 19th, 2021. Uh, this marks this marked a, the beginning of a new series of connected reflections in the life of this church. Uh, reflections that do speak to larger contexts than just our own, but but uh, are certainly grounded in the uh, the experience and the season um, in which Valley Forge Presbyterian Church finds itself. And and this new series of reflections is on the the uh, the truth we affirm that it is God who gathers the church, gathers the people. Uh, for the sake of God's purposes and agenda, and that um, we are not those who choose to gather according to our own agenda and desires. So this scripture and, and uh, this sermon are an introduction to that idea, uh, and subsequent reflections are going to be more specific in how this is true, and how it's good, how it's beautiful, how it gives us uh, purpose and trajectory. So uh, the scripture is from the Acts of the Apostles, uh, two different accounts, one from the second chapter, one from the fourth, about what uh, the earliest Christians became as they understood, uh, according to the teachings and the witness of Jesus, um, why God was gathering them together, what the, what the purpose was and what that meant in terms of how they ordered themselves. So here it is, these two narratives. The first from chapter two. It says, they, the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill for all people. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now the whole, this, uh, and now from chapter four, um, a, a separate narrative with the same heart. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So, um, Jesus is Lord. This is uh, the bedrock confession of a Christian life. Not that I myself am my own Lord, or that any other voice or norm 
or expectation or value is Lord is is the ultimate authority on who I understand I am and, and the way that I shape my life. But Jesus is Lord above all else, all other things. That is our bedrock confession. What Christ says is what we understand to be authoritative and true. Jesus' vision for our lives together and for this world, that's the vision that we as followers adopt for ourselves. And this is the vision of the kingdom of peace come to earth as it exists in heaven. Jesus' vision for our lives and for this world is not solely or even primarily concerned about what happens when we die. His spiritual teachings were not about how to get to heaven someday, but about how to bring God's norms and rhythms and intentions of heavenly life together here. How to get the human race to live here in godly ways, in accordance with God's intentions that resonate with the eternal divine will for life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the vision. And the word that the Greek scriptures used to describe this concrete, actual, intentional way of living together as followers of Jesus in this world, here and now, is the word koinonia. And this is not a huge ethereal someday kind of somewhere else concept but an actual concrete way of ordering human life in the here and now so that we naturally grow into this interconnection of the body, uh, community, when we take what Jesus taught and we implement it in our social world. And koinonia is the intentional sharing of time, energy, and resources in common as the basis of our life together. Koinonia is the Christian social order. This is what we say life is, has always been meant to look like. The sharing of time, energy, and resources freely as they're held in common. And that that is the basis of human life. We see this in Jesus. He did not concern himself with power or material possessions. He did not love his religion more than he loved other people. He modeled a simple, non-anxious, non-judgmental, and grateful life. In all things, he sought to use the time, the energy, the resources available to him to help every woman, child, and man around him to flourish as any had need. These first Christian communities sought to model their life together intentionally after his example and teachings. And what that life together became was koinonia. The descriptions that we have from the Greek scriptures, the earliest Christians gathering or being gathered, reveal that koinonia was central to their understandings of what it meant to be a church, to be Christians in the world. In the account of the Acts of the Apostles, the, the, the text in this episode, the people of the church were described as devoting themselves to both the teaching of the apostles listening and understanding what they were saying intellectually, but also to fellowship, which is this word koinonia, the physical implementation and embodiment of that which they understood intellectually. As they 
both spend time in the temple listening and learning and then breaking bread together in homes, praising God in the, in the temple, but also going out into life and having the goodwill of all people intentionally, physically, not just, not just ideally, but actually. Because their convictions based on the witness of Jesus were that God didn't and doesn't hold anyone's imperfection against them, that God's love is a force that's active and true for all people, and that God's will of a kingdom of peace demanded that everyone, not just some flourish, and that God's will of peace demanded their participation in making that a reality in the here and now. And so with one mind and one soul, the account says, they lived as though the collective was the point and not the individual. They rejected the norm of private ownership. They held possessions, homes, and land as community resources. They sold things when needed in order to meet the needs of anyone. And day by day, it says that God added to their number those being saved. And now we considered in a previous series on the wisdom of the Apostle James that to be saved does not just mean that, that these people were instilled with the proper beliefs to get them over the threshold into heaven someday. But instead, what it meant was that they were restored in health and, and well-being in the midst of their lives here and now. God's salvation is much about the physical and the here, peace, flourishing in the here and now, as it is our well-being in a future life. So because of the actions of koinonia, People were being saved daily through that mutual sharing and support. Um, they did this again and again and again. We read until there was not a needy person among them. All were flourishing. All had what they needed and not just some. To become this kind of people is the reason why God gathers the church. People with one mind one soul, people of koinonia. The letter to the Romans, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, names uh, contributions that are collected and taken to the poor that come from koinonia. Contributions that leave their own circle, their own household, and go out to other places where it's needed. The holding of things in common. The understanding that what belongs to me can be stewarded in faith and used for the sake of others. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul describes being folded into the Christian community as he was extended the right hand of koinonia. And in that place of koinonia, he asked them to always remember the poor. Paul thanked the Philippians that they were a part of the koinonia of the gospel and encouraged them because of their koinonia to do nothing from selfish ambition, but to always look to the interests of others rather than the interests of the self. The letter to the Hebrews challenged those people to not neglect doing good and to not neglect gathering together. And that gathering together is koinonia. It's more than just gathering together. It's being gathered and holding all things in common and understanding where those resources are needed so that all are flourishing and in a place of well-being and peace. The origin story of the Church of Jesus, as told by the narratives and the letters of the New Testament, is the story of koinonia, a fellowship based on the sharing of all things in common for the sake of God's will being accomplished in and through the people. 
God's will of bringing restoration and healing and salvation to all in the here and now, so that the here and now is a place of well-being and peace. The narrative of the scriptures as a whole, from the genesis of creation in that place of Eden, that place of first koinonia, all people, creatures, creation, were living together in a place of peace, fully connected and interconnected. To the end of the scriptural testament, the revelation of John, uh, this anticipation of what God will bring about in the future, a future in which all things are made new. God, humanity, all creatures, all of creation, it's all restored to that place of peaceful connection and interconnection. The narrative of the scriptures is not that God is trying to separate people into those who go up and those who go down, and that this life and this world don't really matter because it's the life and the world that are to come that really matter. That is not, that is not the narrative of the scriptures. It never has been. The narrative of the scriptures is about God working through Abraham, Moses, the judges, the kings, Israel as a people, the prophets, the Christ, and now through the worldwide fellowship of his followers that transcends boundaries of gender, for in Christ there is no male nor female, class, for in Christ there is no slave nor free, there's no servant nor master, and race, for in Christ there is no Jew and no, nor non-Jew, to restore koinonia among all things here, adding to the number of those being saved and restored in this life daily through the living and the faithful action of the church. We worship God, which means that we are those who serve God's purposes, and it is not God who serves ours. When we find ourselves gathered together on a Sunday morning uh, or gathered together here in this way virtually across space and time, that gathering of Christians happens as a part of this larger story about who God is and who we are and who our neighbors are, our denominational directory for worship affirms that Christian worship gives all glory and honor, praise and thanksgiving to the holy triune God. We are gathered in worship to glorify the God who is present and active. We are gathered, and this wording is critical. We ought not say that we gather, rather that by God, we are gathered. God, the one we worship, the one we seek to follow, is the one who gathers us. And we are gathered by God for the sake of God's purposes and not our own. Worship, uh, any gathering of the church is a meeting called by God and not a performance about God that we choose to observe or spectate. The agenda for our worship is and our meeting and our being gathered is set by God and not by us. Yes, we have habits. Yes, we have preferences. Yes, we have convictions about the way that we think church worship and meetings ought to be done. But none of us gets to set the agenda to serve our own desires or preferences or ends. If we say that worship must be done in this way, with this kind of music or order, or with this kind of prayer or confession, with this kind of people, then we are trying to make ourselves the one who gathers and who sets the agenda. And that is not a role that belongs to us. That belongs to God alone. So central to our understanding of what it means to be gathered as the church are these two convictions. That one, it is the Spirit of God who gathers the people together for the sake of God's will being accomplished. And two, the worship of God is a corporate, collaborative, connected, rather than individual event in which we are gathered together as one body to affirm and celebrate who God is 
what God wills from this world, and out from which we are sent to participate in God's loving work that enables and nurtures reconciliation, salvation, and peace among peoples, restoring all things to that place of koinonia, that place of holding all things in common with a sense that we belong together and we belong to one another. We have lost sight of much of this truth as the Christian church in the world. Centuries ago, this alternate understanding of why God gathers the people together developed. It was a misguided trajectory, first of Constantine, and then the Reformation era. Um, it, it built this alternative understanding of the church having the primary function of instilling the right or proper, proper beliefs in people. This nurtured a self-focused desire for universal rightness, both individually and then collectively as denominations. This trajectory gave birth to the misunderstanding that God gathers the church together to wrangle and wrestle and judge one another in the quest to be the one who has the correct beliefs. And in all this wrangling, we lost the sight of God's true will of koinonia. We began to see each other as competition instead of collaborators in the witness of the gospel. And now, in addition to gathering with a concern for having the right answer, the right doctrines, the right answers, the right dogma, which, which most churches still do, um, worshipers in our time also have these influences of contemporary American culture. And so we gather with a concern for personal preference. The virtues of church shopping are extolled. And worshipers are, are not only shopping for uh, a church experience that gathers them into a place of uh, teaching that reinforces their beliefs, and, but also gathers them into a place where the preaching, the music, the aesthetics, the programming, the coffee, the timing, the demographics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, match their personal individual preferences. The practice of gathering together has become less and less about koinonia and more and more about individual spiritual consumerism. In this understanding, it's, it's not God who does the gathering with the agenda. It's we who choose to gather from our own commitment to our own habits, our own preferences, our own agenda for our own spiritual life. And it's based on, you know, being a pleased consumer of spiritual goods rather than coming alongside of God's agenda and finding our place within it. We seek to fit God into our weekly agendas in a way that is convenient and pleasing and desirable to us. But the followers of Jesus commit themselves to both the teachings of the apostles. Certainly that's a critical part of being a part of some sort of community uh, of faith, whether that's in person or it's some sort of virtual connection like you and I have. But we're, we aren't only those who commit ourselves to kind of learning and listening, downloading. We, we also are those who commit ourselves to the fellowship, to koinonia, the intentional implementation of this very particular way of living in our social order. This way of sharing our time, our energy, our resources in common as the basis of our life together with other human beings. We are those who commit to being of one mind. And that's not our own mind, or that's not the mind of our dogma or the mind of our preacher, but it's the mind and soul of Christ. We are those who commit to the desires and the agenda and the mind of Jesus. 
We are Christians not only when we are in our various temples, but also when we are gathered in homes and workplaces and and out in the neighborhood and wherever else we find ourselves. We are those who praise God, certainly, but also intentionally in our everyday living have goodwill for all people. And with that goodwill for all people, we pray for people in need, and then we give of ourselves with the understanding that that which belongs to us doesn't actually belong to us. We are stewards of that which we have access to, and we have the ability to use that for the sake of the others. And when that's true, God works through our faithful koinonia actions to add to the numbers of those saved here and now. Working through us, not just to, to, to get others to believe the right things like we do, but to feed the hungry, to house the homeless, to lift up the poor, encourage the hopeless, love the least of our sisters and brothers, become agents working in, participating in God's saving efforts in the here and now to bring literal, physical help and healing and well-being to other people. And so we must never forget that we are not only those who hear teachings, spend an hour in a temple and praise God, and we are, we are not those who choose how and where we do those things according to our own preferences and agendas so that they're pleasing and entertaining to us. We are those who are gathered by God to worship God, to defer to God's will and desires and intentions, to discern how we are to share of our time, our energy, our resources in accordance with God's agenda, rather than seeking for God or church membership or a sense of righteous self-righteousness and right belief to fit into and, and to, to uh, supply our personal agenda. We are those gathered by God, with God, for God, and so we humbly and faithfully must surrender our own habits and urges to set the agenda for our own spiritual and religious lives, leaving our preferences and agendas at the door, and accepting God's call to join ourselves into the one heart and soul of Jesus, to be gathered into the koinonia that will continue by God's guidance and grace to bring salvation, restoration, life, well-being, and peace to broken and weary world and to neighbors in need of our loving grace. By our commitment to the one who gathers us and the commitment of all that we have to offer being held in common for God's will of koinonia and not for our own sake. May God add day by day to the number of those who are being saved, loved, and restored. Be well, be safe, wear a mask, get a shot, love your neighbor, and peace to all.